We're going to continue our study tonight of what does the Bible mean or what does the Bible say about works. So last week we left off talking about what it means to serve other gods. And the scripture we left off with was Jeremiah 16.11 which tells us when you serve other gods, you forsake the Lord. And what does it mean to forsake the Lord according to the book of Jeremiah? It means to not walk in the commandments of the Lord, to stop keeping God's instructions, His Torah. So tonight we're going to start by looking at God wants us to serve Him and Him alone. What does the book of Exodus say about God? He is a jealous God. So He only wants us to serve Him and Him alone. So how do we serve God? Number one, by fearing Him and walking in all of His ways. Imagine that. All of His ways. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 17. And it says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? So what is it that God is looking for? Is He looking for us to be half-hearted or does He want us to serve Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our being? All of it. And that's exactly what Deuteronomy is all about. If you want to serve the Lord, if you want the Lord to bless you, how do we need to serve Him? We need to serve Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our, all of our might, all of our being says to walk in hell His ways, to love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. Notice the word love is in there too. Does the Lord want us to follow Him just like a robot, or does He want us to love Him? That has to be first and foremost. We have to love Him. Verse 13, And to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good. Why is it for our good? If we keep His commandments, if we love the Lord, if we have faith in Him, then what is He going to do according to Deuteronomy 28? He's going to bless us beyond measure. What if we choose to not keep His commandments and we choose to walk away from His commandments? Read the rest of chapter 28 and you'll find out. Verse 15, verse 14. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. So if it belongs to the Lord, does it belong to the pagan idols? No. Absolutely not. So when God says, the, the, Lord, the, the earth and all the heavens, it all belongs to me, what's God saying? Don't give honor and reverence to anything else. And this verse says that Satan is not the God of this world. He was given, the, the, <laughs> he was given it, but it doesn't belong to him, doesn't it? The Lord owns... Yeah. Right, right. So who relinquished the right? <laughs> All right. Yep. Verse 15, it says, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, above you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, what does therefore mean? Because of what I just said, because of what was just read. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no longer. If you look in the Hebrew, between the word circumcise and the foreskin, you see the olive top. So, where does circumcision of the heart come through? Through faith in our Messiah. So, circumcise the foreskin of your heart through faith in Messiah. 
and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So when the Lord returns and establishes the kingdom, what kind of justice is He going to establish? Perfect justice, perfect judgment. Something we have never seen in this world. Never. Never, ever, ever. But we will. Let's turn now to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Still looking at how do we serve God? We serve Him by fearing Him and walking in all of His ways. Psalm 111. Psalm 111. The key verse is 7, but we're going to read verses 7 through 9. You know the book of Psalms. The the verses in the book of Psalms are kind of like a Lay's potato chip. You can't just have one, right? Right. All right. All right. Verse 7, it says, The work of His hands are verity and justice. What is verity? Truth. Truth. So the work of His hands are verity and justice. All His precepts are sure. Do you see the word sure? That's from the Hebrew word amen. So, if all His precepts are sure, then what do we need to do when God says something? Take it with a grain of salt? No. Or take it to heart, take it to to the bank? It's already done. done. So, all His precepts are sure. So that means that they're going to happen. So if all the works of His hand are truth and justice and all His precepts are sure, meaning they're not going to change. You mean the Lord doesn't change? No, No, never. Because look at verse 8. What's it say? They stand fast forever and ever. Leolam va'ed. And are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to His people. How did He send redemption to His people? Through Yeshua, through His Messiah, Yeshua. And He has commanded His covenant for a little while. No. Psalm 89 verse 34 says, My covenant I will not break. Holy and awesome is His name. When it says holy and awesome is His name, does He have a name tag that says, Hi, my name is holy. Hi, my name is awesome. What does that mean it's His name? That's part of His character. That's part of who He is. So, what does that word holy remind you of? Leviticus 11, it should, because what did he say in Leviticus 11? Be ye holy, for I am holy. And it just so happens that Leviticus 11 is the what? It's the food food chapter, right? So it's the food chapter, and it just also happens to be the verse that Peter quotes from in verse Peter, where he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So he's saying, Gird up the loins of your mind, be circumspect of how you walk. Oh, by the way, be holy. For I am holy, says the Lord. Where did he quote that from? Leviticus 11. So holy and awesome is his name. Yes. Look at verse 5 too. It fits right in with what you're saying. Right. Verse 5. It says, He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. If you look at that in the Hebrew, it literally translates, He will remember forever his covenant. So if he will remember his covenant forever, 
Will he ever change anything that's come out of his mouth? Will he ever change his promises? You know, and that's the, that, that's the Lord we serve. The Lord we serve does not change. And for that, I say amen. I have a note to turn to Genesis 15.6, but I think it's because of the word Amen. Because where do we see Amen really show forth with that faith of Abraham? Because in Genesis 15.6, let's just flip over there, just for fun. Because somebody might be listening for the first time and say, hey, what does Genesis 15.6 say? Let's go look. Genesis 15.6, and he, talking about Avram or Abraham, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. The word believed is the Hebrew word ha-amin. There's so many of them, I get, I get them all mixed up. It's ha-amin. So he believed in the Lord. He had that faith that we read about all through the scriptures that Abraham had. So when it says he believed in the Lord, does that mean that he just believed that the Lord existed? No, the book of James says even the demons believe and tremble, but does that mean that they believe in God? It doesn't mean that they have faith in God. They just know that He exists. So to believe in the Lord means that, Lord, you said it, I believe it, it's going to happen, that settles it. So if the Lord says in His scriptures, I'm the Lord, I do not change, what can we know about God? He's not going to change. So we can take that to the bank. And the word served used in Psalm 111.7 is ma'aseh. Ma'aseh. 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Am I still not coming through on go to meeting? A lot of static. A lot of static. The weather. Could be the weather. We, we are getting a little bit of rain. So, All right, 2 Timothy 2.15. So again, how do we serve God? By fearing Him and walking in His ways. So... 2 Timothy 2.15, we'll start in verse 14 and read through verse 19, but the key verse is 15. Verse 14 says, Remind them, those that are being ordained, of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. So if we strive about with words of no profit, then what are we going to do for the people who are listening? Confuse them, it says bring them to ruin. So that's why in verse 15 he says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. I like how the King James reads it. It says, Study to show yourself approved. So that kind of carries that meaning. So if you want your words to have profit, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to study to show yourself approved. Right. And look at the next part. It says, A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if we're to study and to be diligent to present ourselves to God, what does God expect us to do? He says, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So what does that worker here do to the word of truth? 
rightly divides it, as a priest would rightly divide the sacrifice. Because what if the priest decides, hey, I'm going to cut it this way? Chris, <laughs> crispy critter. <laughs> crispy critter. So verse, verse 15 is telling us we need to be careful how we handle the Word of God and make sure we're teaching it in truth. Verse 16 says, But shun profane and idle babblings. So how are you able to easily tell if it's, if it's an profane or idle babbling? Compare it to the Scriptures. If it doesn't line up with the Scriptures, then it's of no value. And this obedience to this passage has led to about 54,000 denominations. Yeah. How many denominations should there be? One. It's not the... Right. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So, what do false teachings do, according to this scripture? It leads people off the path leads people astray. So if we're to be leading people in the way that people need to be going, what do we need to do with the Scriptures? We need to rightly divide the Scriptures, take verse by verse, precept on precept, line upon line to see what does the Scripture say. What does the Scripture say? It can be twisted. It can be twisted, absolutely. In verse 15, the word worker is the Greek word ergates. E-R-G-A-T-E-S, ergates. It's the same word used in Luke 13.27 where Messiah says, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. It's the same word. Same word. All right, Acts 24. Acts 24. I'm going to read verse 14. We've been here a lot before. This is one of those pages that your Bible should just fall open to. It says, But this I confess to you, this is Paul speaking, this that I, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. There's a lot in this verse. So let's go back and break it down a little bit. In verse 14 where it says, But this I confess to you that according to the way, another translation you could read is after the way. So in accordance to the way which they call a sect, so or likewise in the same manner, I worship the God of my fathers. Do you see the word worship? It's actually the word serve. It's the word avod. So I serve the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. So how does Paul serve the God of his fathers? Believing all things that are what? Written in the law and the prophets. So he serves the God of his fathers 
by believing what is written in the scriptures. And that word believing, I bet you can guess what kind of verb that is. Participle. It's a present participle. So when it says Paul, when Paul says, I'm believing all things that are written in the scriptures, does that mean it was a past thing like I used to believe it but now I don't anymore or is it a continual ongoing thing continual ongoing ongoing. why do I why does it seem like I'm beating a dead horse with this whole participle thing because when you read through the scriptures especially in the New Testament you see so much about believing and people want to teach it as if once upon a time I believed and now I'm good. But the word believe is not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. So what does that cause us to do? If we're, being, if we're walking circumspectly before the Lord, what do we have to continue doing? You have to continue persevering and believing. Believing. And a lot of people still are King James only. I like the new King James but the King James had a really good way of expressing that continuing participle. Mm-hmm. He that believeth is right. baptized. And that ETH ending meant who keeps on and keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. And it differentiates between believe right. and you will do this. Right. You did believe and you did that. Yeah. He that believeth will do this. Right. It's a I like that English because the the King's English way back mm-hmm. was very distinct in some ways that uh, we, we've lost in translation. Right. right. You mean things have been lost in translation? Talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> but they translated some things wrong too. Well, absolutely. Like Acts 12.4 about the whole Easter thing, you know. The word in, yeah. Does somebody have a question? Hey, hey. hey what's up? Yeah. Um, I know the word Yeshua is salvation, but if is salvation a was it participle? participle? I don't understand the participle. Uh, Ongoing. So is salvation? It's not a one-time thing. It is a sal- like believing. It's a right. It's an ongoing. It's an ongoing action, and so you're you're still unclear about like what a participle is. No. What. That salvation is not—I know it's not a one-time thing—but what is the Hebrew word? I thought it was Yeshua. But right. Is that a ongoing, ongoing work? Passive participle. It's a pass, yeah, it's a participle. The word Yeshua is a participle. Okay. I thought it was a noun, so I guess I'm, that's where I'm confused. But the theology that many people teach is you have been saved, right? And you shall be saved. And, you know, it's like a. You were saved, you are saved, you shall. There's a continuance in the very thought of salvation. Right. It's not a one and done. Right. It's a process. I mean, a participle used as a verb is, as a noun is called a gerund. We do the same thing in English. Like the mm-hmm. word singing? Yeah. Did you hear what he said? Okay. Yes, we got it. Thank you. Okay. A scripture that came to mind when, when you were talking, Penny, was 1 Corinthians 15. So if you flip over there, and this, this kind of goes along with, with that concept of salvation is a, is a walk, it's a lifestyle, it's an ongoing thing. Salvation is the goal. 
that we're trying to attain. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. What's the next word? If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. But that word saved is actually being saved. Right. Being saved. But the key word that I wanted to point out is if. So you're being saved if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the whole idea of salvation being a one-time event if you look at the Scriptures, what do the Scriptures say about salvation? Salvation is the goal. That's the thing we're trying to attain. That's what we're trying to reach. And how do we reach it? Through our Messiah, Yeshua, whose name is salvation. Did that help answer your question? Yes, yes thank you. One more, just because you asked for it. First Peter. Chapter one. We'll start in verse eight in the middle of the verse with the word though. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, and that word believing is a present participle, meaning continuing belief, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving, again, that is a participle, receiving the, the end of your faith or the goal of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. So what is it that we continue to believe? Why do we continue to believe? And why do we keep persevering and pressing toward the goal? Because what is the goal, according to 1 Peter? Salvation, Salvation of our souls. So, does, did, that, did that help? Did I chase the Ibex long so enough? It's, it's, it's just that whole thing of work up. Work off, work out your salvation with fear and tremble. It's a working out day by day. Right. Um, I just, I guess it was confusing to me that the noun and is a verb. I just never thought. I don't know why I never thought that. Yeah. I understand it. Though. Right. And you know, we talked last week about working out your own salvation, and how that means, you know, you're, you're doing what you need to do. To attain the goal. Right. Walking in life. Yeah, absolutely. So, and because if you look, it's in Philippians 2, and verse 13, the very next verse says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So that word to will, or that phrase to will, means he gives you the motivation to keep on pressing on, to make it your delight to serve him. And then to do, of course, is to to do the works set forth in the Torah. You know, since salvation comes from being born again, mm -hmm. we are new creatures. We have the Spirit. And, you know, the Spirit, you know, I believe is what the Scripture says, that, that He is what enables us to 
to want and to do. Right. And and it's natural. It's really, I mean, you know, the natural man has these characteristics. Right. And the spiritual man, you know. Right. So why why didn't the, the Apostle Paul say, stop living like the Gentiles? <laughs> oh, he did, didn't he? Right. He did in the book of Ephesians. He said, now that you are a new creation, stop walking like you used to. Because if you continue walking like you used to, what is that going to do? It's going to lead you right back into the same path that you were before. And then the book of Second Peter says, it's as if the dog returns into his vomit and the sow to the wallowing in the mire. Go ahead. Is, it, is there a way I can identify a few participle like like Haim is I am is the plural. So is there a way that I, if I'm seeing this, I okay, I recognize the verb, but how do I identify a participle? Well, you would have to look at a um, interlinear Bible. That's one way you can look oh. at it. And if you look at an interlinear Bible, it can tell you through the parsing whether it's a participle, like it would be a verb, then a present participle and all that. But that's the, that's the easiest way you can tell. And a lot of times... When you look at the scriptures, if you see something that's ending with an ing, most of the time that's kind of a clue. But a lot of times these ongoing continual actions are kind of hidden in the translation. So that's where you, that's going back to where you have to, you know, dig it out through an inter, interlinear interlinear Bible. Okay. So hopefully, I, I just didn't know how to use it. Okay, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. So this ring First Peter one. Look at verse 15. First Peter 1, verse 15. Which you referred to as referring back to Leviticus 11. Right, right, right. So verse, first Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15. We'll start at 13 and get a running start to verse 15. It says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, that means be in your right mind, and rest your hope fully upon the grace of that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. What's it say? In all of your conduct. And that word conduct comes from the Hebrew word halach, and what do you call your walk, your halakha? So your conduct is your walk, how you walk out your salvation. And verse 16 says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And that quotes right back from Leviticus chapter 11. So that's not a one-time thing. Absolutely not. No. Nope. Yep. Okay. Right. That was 50 years ago. We walked. We don't sit on our own morals. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's go. Oh, and we started in Acts 24, and somehow we wound up here. So in Acts 24, 14, you know, that never happens, does it? Never, ever, ever happens. In Acts 24, 14, the word that was translated as worship but was really serve is latruo. A L A T R E U O Latruo. 
All right, so how do we serve God? Number one, by fearing Him and walking in all of His ways. And number two, by not serving Him like the other gods are served. That's a biggie. That's a biggie. Because God wants us to walk in His ways, but He also does not want us to worship Him the way other gods are worshipped. And you can kind of tell by the attitude of people when you talk to them that a lot of people don't think this is a big deal. A lot of people don't think that that's a big deal. And you can just tell, like, they, they just, you know, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. But God doesn't like this. But, I don't obey. but that's, that's not what it means to me. How, how many of you have gotten that before? Right. That's not what it means to me. That's not what it means to me. But we, but we have to stop and think, it's not what it means to me. It's what it means to God. How does He view what I'm doing? So by not serving Him like other gods are served. So let's go to Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, then 28 through 32. And the word served is actually in verse 2. And it's the word avod. Let's start in verse 1. It says, These are the statutes and the judgment judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God, which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall destroy their altars, you shall break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And if you go back and look at the Hebrew, it kind of translates a little bit more as you shall not worship the Lord your God with such or in such a way. So it still carries the same meaning, but does God want us to worship Him how the pagans worship their gods? Absolutely not. So he says the things that they used to worship their gods, don't sprinkle a little oil on them and try to bless them in my name. He said destroy them. Grind them to powder. Get rid of them. Did they do it? Unfortunately, it depended on the king. (laughs) There are altars that we have seen in our tour of Israel with something to God Mm -hmm. right next to something to Baal. Right. In the same room, in the same worship chamber, they had put two altars. That was a dam. No, that was down in the desert. Let's go to verse 28, because this kind of puts to rest the whole idea of that's not what it means to me. Verse 28 says, Observe and obey all the words, or all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. In whose sight? His sight. His sight. So when people say, that's not what it means to me, 
read them Deuteronomy 28, 12, 28 and say it doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to God. Because we're to observe and obey all the words which He commanded. And we're to do what is good and right in His sight. So it's not what it means to you. It's what it means to Him. And after the word obey in verse 28, observe and obey, there is an olive top. So we're to observe and obey all the words which who commanded? The Lord, Messiah. So did Messiah give the words spoken in the Torah? Absolutely. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 29, it says, When the Lord your God cuts off from before the nations which you... which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after them. What's that mean to be ensnared? It means trapped. You get a rope around your yeah, own absolutely. After they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? That's the word of Vod. I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So how many times has he told us this in this chapter? At least twice. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods, for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Child sacrifice, does God approve? Absolutely not. And he made sure to mention this one specifically because which king really fell off the rails after marrying 700 wives and 300 concubines? Solomon. Because what did he start doing to his children? Passing them through the fire. Then verse 32 starts with an olive tav. It says, Olive tav, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. So anything that... Yeshua commanded, we're going to find where? In the Torah. Because He is the Word. So whatever I command you, that word, it literally says everything I command you. Everything I command you. Be careful to observe it. Better translated, you will keep it to do it. So is it a suggestion? No. It's not a suggestion. So the Lord said, whatever I commanded, do it. Don't worship me the way other gods are worshipped. Because how were the other gods worshipped? What characterized the worship of all the other gods? Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. What was, the, what was one of the big things that really ensnared Israel in the wilderness? Sexual immorality. Where at? Baal Peor. And how many people died? One or two? Thousands. About 25,000. So how did the plague get stopped? Pincus. <laughs> yeah, Pincus. He, he, really, he really stuck it to him, didn't he? Yeah. Really stuck it to him, right. Alright. Let's go to 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings 17. When you read 2 Kings 17, it's one of those chapters you read and you just go, Oy vey. Sometimes it gets so bad you say, Vey oy. 
it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's just so bad, right. Alright, so we're going to read verses 24 through 40. So, 2 Kings 17, what has just happened? Assyrian captivity. Assyrian captivity. The northern kingdom went into the Assyrian captivity. So you would think after going into captivity, the people would repent, they would change their ways, they would come back and serve the Lord. But let's read verse 24 through 40. It says, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutah, Avah, Hamat, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So why did the Lord send lions among those people? Is it because they were good, righteous people? God's country, they were not obeying Him. Right, so what were they not doing that sent the judgment among them? They did not fear the Lord. They did not fear the Lord. Does that mean they were not shaking in their boots? What they did, did not obey. They did not obey. So, the king of Assyria gets this bright idea. Verse 26, So they spoke to the king of Assyria and said, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. That word rituals is mishpat. Mishpat. So the judgments. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the, the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach the mishpat, the rituals, of the God of the land. Okay, so yay, the story's going to turn around now. They're sending a priest, and if you look at the Hebrew, it's actually a, a kohanim. They sent a priest. What kind of priest do you suppose they sent? One from the priestly caste. <laughs> Not a good one. Not a good one. So the, the king of Assyria says, I know, we'll get this to stop. We'll send a priest, and he'll teach the people what they need to do to serve the Lord. Verse 28. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel. What do you know about Bethel? What was there? Golden calf, right? And taught them how they should fear the Lord. So when we read the rest of this, this should sound great. And they lived happily ever after in the land, no more lions. What does verse 29 start with? However. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkot Benot, the men of Kuth made Nergal, the men of Hamat made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvine. So, so, so the priest the was supposed to be teaching them how to fear the Lord and what was happening at the same time. The people were still continuing to do the things which got the children of Israel cast out of the land. So verse 32 says, So they feared the Lord from every class they appointed for themselves, 
And from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet they served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. Now I'm going to read verse 34 to kind of help explain 33. It says, To this day they continued practicing the former rituals. They did not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law and the commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Now wait a minute. Doesn't it sound like 33 and 34 contradict each other? It says they fear the Lord in verse 33. Then verse 34 says they don't fear the Lord. So what kind of fear do we see in verse 33? What did the people not want to get eaten by? They didn't want to get eaten by lions. So they feared the Lord like it was fear. Because if you look at the word fear in verse 33 and 34, it's the same Hebrew word, yarei. It's the same Hebrew word. But what kind of fear was talked about in verse 33? Hey, I don't want to get eaten by a lion. So I'll incorporate this guy with mine. Right. So what are you seeing? What do we call it? Syncretism. We call it syncretism. So they feared the Lord because they were scared of getting eaten by a lion. But then verse 34 reveals the heart of the people. It says they do not fear the Lord. That means they did not obey. They did not reverence the Lord. How did they not obey the Lord? Well, if you read the rest of the verse, it tells you. They did everything He said not to do. Exactly. It says they did not follow their statutes nor their ordinances or the law and the commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom He named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, Him you shall fear, Him you shall worship, and to Him you shall offer sacrifice. We'll get back to that priest in just a minute. But these are Gentiles. I thought the law didn't apply to the Gentiles. Well, obviously it does they because forgot tell the lions. they forgot to tell the Especially lions. Especially if they're living in the land of Israel. <laughs> yeah. The law of the lions. Absolutely. We'll get back to that priest in just a second. Verse 37, and the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment, which, and I have this highlighted in my Bible. It doesn't say which Moses wrote for you. What does it say? Which he wrote for you. So who wrote the commandments, the statutes, the judgments? The Lord did. did. And you shall be careful to observe kol hayamim all of the days. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget. In other words, never. Nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God, but the Lord your God you shall fear, and He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. Now, I thought the priest that the king of Assyria sent into the land, I thought he was supposed to be teaching the mishpat, the judgments, the commandments, the statutes, the judge, all of those things. I thought the priest was supposed to do that. How do we know that's the job of a priest? What is the job of a priest? Let's go to Malachi 2. Malachi 2. 
So the purpose or the job of a priest, according to Malachi 2, verse 7, it says, For the lips of a priest should what? Keep knowledge. Keep knowledge. And people should seek what from his mouth? Torah. Torah. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So that means that the, the priest were not only giving the commandments, the statutes, and judgment, but they were also teaching prophecy. Because it says if they are the messenger of the Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, Adonai, Zevaot, what does that mean? In times prophecy. So that means the priest was to be given teaching the commandments, the statutes, and the judgment, and to warn the people of what was to come. Did that priest that the king of Assyria sent into the land, did he do a good job? No, he did not. Because if he would have, do you think somewhere along the way he would have read Deuteronomy 12? That says, do not worship me this way. But look at verse 8. So this was, this was written during the time of Malachi the prophet. So this is after the Babylonian captivity. Verse 8 says, But you have what? Departed from the way. You have caused some to stumble at the law. Many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you, talking about the priest, contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but you have shown partiality in the law. How does the Lord feel about partiality? He doesn't like it because what does the Lord say about His own self? He is not partial. He does not show partiality. Absolutely. Alright, so God wants us to serve Him and Him alone. How do we serve God? We serve Him by fearing Him and walking in His ways and by not serving Him the way other gods are served. Let's switch gears a little bit now. We're going to continue talking about how a servant does the work of the Master, but now we're going to look at what Messiah says about it in the Gospels. So, several places Messiah talks about true servants. So let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going to read verses 42 through 48. And this portion of Scripture is a big, huge slice of humble pie. Verse 42 says, And the Lord said, let's just go back to verse 41 to kind of get a running start. If I keep going back, I'll start all the way back in verse 1, but let's just start at verse 41. It says, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable to us only or to all people? Verse 42 says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Do you see the word faithful there describing the steward? The word faithful is the Greek word pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S, Greek word 4103. And it is the Greek equivalent 
of the Hebrew word ne'aman. Ne'aman. You can spell it N-E apostrophe E-M-A-N. Ne'aman. Which is from the word aman or amen. And it is a nephal participle. So you could literally translate it as who then is that Faith, the servant who is being faithful. So the one who is being faithful, does that mean once upon a time or is that one who is continuing to be faithful? Continuing to be faithful. So who is that wise steward who is continuing to be faithful, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Doing is a present participle. So, who does the Lord say is the blessed servant? The one who is sitting by idle or the one who is doing? Doing. The one who is doing. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day, what day do you suppose? Day of the Lord, Lord, when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Take note of that word. We're going to look at it in just a second. So did you catch something there? This is something that I've, you know, I've read this parable before and something that really popped off the page at me. The one that's being cut in two and appointed the portion with an unbeliever, what was he referred to as? A servant. So he was referred to as a servant. What does a servant do? They serve the master. So this is somebody who claims to be a what? This is somebody who claims to be a believer because if you're reading between the lines of this parable, the servant is referred to as a believer. So this is a believer that says, my master is delaying his coming. What does that sound just like? In In the last days there will come what? Scoffers. People who know that his coming is near. But then they say in their heart, oh, things have just been this way since the beginning of time. And what are they referred to in 2 Peter 3? Scoffers. So this man is a what? A scoffer. This is a servant, one who claims to serve the master. And he says in his heart, does that mean his heart starts talking? No. What does that mean? He says it in his heart. To himself. To himself. That means that this is what is on the inside. This is how he believes. It's his motivation. He says, my master is delaying his coming, so I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to live it up. And what happened? He was caught off guard. Yes? That sounds a lot like Exodus 18.24, about a righteous man turning from his righteousness. Yep, like Ezekiel 18.24, absolutely right. We'll go look at that in a second. That's one of my favorite scriptures. I won't, I won't call an opportunity to go to Ezekiel 18. But do you see in the very end of, chapter, of verse 46 where it says, 
appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. That word unbelievers is apistos. It's pistos with an A in front of it. Faithless. Faithless. Yeah, it sounds like that. Right, it sounds like it, but it's, it's the opposite of faith. So in the beginning it says, who is that faithful servant? That was the Greek word pistos. The word unbeliever is apistos, which is pistos with an A in front of it. So A-P-I-S-T-O-S. And it's Greek word 571, and it literally means without faith. So what is an unbeliever? It's one who lacks faith. The Lord said He was coming back. What did this servant say? Yeah, he, he delays His coming. I don't believe Him. And then what happened? Yes. Is that where faith comes from? Say that again, I'm sorry. Is that where apostate comes from? No, this is from the word pistos, which is which it comes from the word faith. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Apostasy comes from the Greek word for a radical departure. Right. Apostasia. Right. Okay, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Does so this make you think of Matthew twenty five, the ten virgins? Absolutely, yeah. Because what happened? They were both expecting what? To be part of the bride. Five of them had faith. Five of them didn't have faith. Because if they would have had faith, what would they have had in their vessels? They would have had oil. They, they, would, have made themselves ready. they would have made themselves ready. So I just I find this interesting that the Lord is saying, you know, here's the one that's faithful. Here's the one with faith. And then here's one claiming to be one of my servants. But what does he really have? No faith. And it's just, it's the opposite of the same Greek word. Verse 47. Daniel, yes. Doesn't that also go along with James 2 about him, about them, someone having a declaration of faith? Right. So this man is calling himself the, a servant of God, but what do his works and his actions show about his faith? Faith without works faith is dead. dead. Yeah, shows that he is he is faithless. He has no faith. Doesn't that also remind you of Hebrews three, where it yes. talks about? Let's just turn over to Hebrews three. You're probably already on your way there, weren't you? Hebrews three. This is a very clear picture of unbelief or being a part of the unbelievers. Verse 16, Hebrews three sixteen. it says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? All except Caleb and Joshua. So in other words, who rebelled? The ones who did not, what? Have faith. Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who what? Did not obey. So what can we say about Joshua and Caleb? They, they, obeyed. they obeyed. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So if we flip back over to Luke chapter 12, when it says that the man was cut in two and appointed his portion with the unbelievers, an unbeliever is simply one who does not what? have faith. 
one who does not believe the promises of God. So that's a very slippery slope to be on when you call God a liar. It's a very, very, very slippery slope. In fact, it's not a slope at all. It's a drop-off. <laughs> it's a cliff. Verse 47. Right. Verse 47, it says, And that servant who knew his master's will had knowledge of his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to him to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So to me, in my mind, this ties right back to what we just read in Second Timothy about studying to show yourself approved. If you know the Scriptures and you are teaching the Scriptures in a false way. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Yeah, you'll be called... You won't be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven, will you? You'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Because what, what was, who was that given to? It's those who teach men to do so. Break the commandments. Break the commandments. So it says, those who knew. So verse 47, that, that verse just needs to stand out to you. It says, that servant who knew, that means had knowledge of. It wasn't like a, oops, I didn't know. That servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. That does not sound like shall be told, come in my good and faithful servant. That's not what it sounds like. You know... Sounds like just before getting cast into outer darkness. Right. And you know, verse 46 too, where it says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. That also reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5. Right. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5 teaches us how to not be caught unawares. How can we know for certain when to expect the coming of the Lord? When to know when that day is at hand, even at the door? First Thessalonians 5.1 says, But concerning the times and the seasons, when it says times and seasons, what is it referring to? Is it talking about winter, spring, summer, fall, January, February, March? Or is it talking, it's talking about the feast and festivals, the Moedim, mentioned in Leviticus 23? Why did Paul not have to talk to them in great detail about the, the Moedim, the feasts and the festivals? They were keeping them. They were keeping them. They were keeping them year in and year out. Because what did... Paul tell the people in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, he said, metaphorically keep the Passover. Let us keep the feast. Keep the feast. I read that in a commentary. I kid you not. That means to metaphorically keep it. How do you no. metaphorically keep a feast? You don't. He meant... That would keep, be cruel. <laughs> yeah, he said, keep the feast. If you look at the word in Greek, it means keep the feast. That's what it means. No metaphor. 
But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. How many of you read that and kind of closed the book right there when, before you really kept you know, wanting to know more about it? Oh, we can't know about the day of the Lord because it comes as a thief in the night. But what's the next verse say? When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. So who is the they? The they is talking about the people who are not keeping the Moedim. The people not keeping the Moedim. The seven appointed times of God which teach us about the death, the burial, the resurrection, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the second coming. All of that is encompassed in the Moedim, in the seven appointed times. If you're not keeping those seven appointed times, what does the Scripture say you're going to be? Caught unawares. You're going to be caught unawares. So it says, And they shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Why are the brethren, Paul is referring to, not in darkness? What are they keeping? You're in, you're out. They're keeping the Moedim. They're keeping the feast and the festivals. Should we have expected Messiah to come around Passover, near Passover, or on Passover the first time? To die at Passover. To be resurrected at first fruits. It right was on it. right on it. Because, because how long were they rehearsing these feasts and festivals? Oh yeah, give or take about 1,500 years. So if you're doing something for a year, you know, you kind of get an idea of how to do it. But what if you're doing it for 1,500 years? You ought to know by then. You ought to know by then. You should have it nailed. You should have it nailed. So what's my point in taking us here to, to Luke chapter 12 to show us about these servants? This is a servant or one who claims to be a believer. But what did he start doing? He started saying in his heart, the Lord delays His coming. I'll just let me live it up. What is that a lack of? Faith. That's a lack of faith. That's, the many are called, but few are chosen. That's it. That's the lack of faith. And the word servant used in Luke 12 is the Greek word doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. So that, not the word steward, but the word servant that's used in verses 43, 45, 46, and 47. And that's, it also means slave, doesn't it? Well, it would be the, Hebrew, or the Greek equivalent of a vod, which would be slave or servant. Right. And you know what's interesting, too, in, this, in my studies, this is neither here nor there, but the word for bondservant and the word for servant in Greek is the same Greek word. Same word. Same word. There's not a different word for bondservant as there is for servant. You keep using that word avod. What does the word avod actually mean? One who follows the commandments right. of his master. Right. So, I mean, that would, that would make total sense with what we're looking at right here because if this man claims to be, this servant claims to be serving the master, then what is he expected to do to keep the commandments of his master? But what is he saying about his relationship with his master? 
he has no faith. He doesn't believe that his master is going to do what he said he's going to do. He hasn't read John 14, 15. Hmm. Right. All right, let's go to Revelation 1. Revelation 1, 1. Not Revelation 2, but Revelation 1, 1. Right. You can go to Revelation 11. I'll go to Revelation 1, 1. All right. This is something else, too, I've never really caught before. In Revelation 1, 1 says, the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, which God gave Him to show who? His servants. His servants. Things which must shortly take place. So, the revelation, the events of the end time, it says God gave Him to show His servants. And that word again is doulos. So, the servants of God are the ones that this is revealed to. Now, later on in Revelation, does it define for us in more detail about who those, what those servants are characterized by? 14.12. Revelation 14.12. So let's go to Revelation 14.12. We'll stop off at 12.17 first. And to answer the question by robot, wouldn't that include the Sabbath? If you're talking about one of the appointed times, absolutely yes, because what does the what does the Sabbath teach? It teaches the establishment of the kingdom. Yep, good point. All right, Revelation twelve seventeen, it says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. Let's go to 14.12. reads pretty much the same way. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. Period. Nope. And the faith of Yeshua. So what characterizes the servants that was mentioned in Revelation 1.1? They have the faith of Yeshua and what do they do? They keep the commandments of God. So when it says this is revealed to His servants, it's those who are keeping the commandments of God and have the faith of Yeshua. Alright, let's go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. And I jumped the gun on going to 1 Thessalonians. I had it in my notes here for us to go here now, but we already went there, so just put it in your notes. Just put it in your notes. All right, Matthew 9.37. Matthew 9.37. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. What does that mean? Pray that people would send out the gospel. Send the gospel message. So in verse 37, it says, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
um, the word laborers is workers, and it's from the Greek word ergates, ergates, E-R-G-A-T-E-S. So what does, what does that mean? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That means that the people are ready to receive the word, they're ready to receive the gospel, but how many people are willing to share it? Not many. Not many. Not many. You know, and my point for going to First Thessalonians 5 here is why are there so few workers? Well, from what, I can, from what I can gather from the Scriptures, number one, people don't know the time of their Master's coming. And that's First Thessalonians 5. So that's one reason why there would be so few workers. And number two, people are apathetic about the Master's coming. That's Second Peter 3. So let's go there real quick. Second Peter 3. People are just apathetic about the coming of the, of the Lord. Yes. Also, if you consider at, at the time this is written, the majority of believers are Jewish. Right. Vast majority. Mm-hmm. In the succeeding centuries, mm-hmm. the Gentiles quickly became the majority, and then they quickly separated themselves from the Jews, mm-hmm. which meant they separated themselves from the teaching of right. the Torah, right. which means they could not be obeying the commands of God right. because they were being taught you don't have to. Right. And so from that far back, the reason we have so few laborers, we have laborers all over the world right now. Spreading false gospel, yeah. They're not spreading this gospel of Yeshua. Right. They're spreading their church's version of it. Mm-hmm. But the idea of tolerance is that, hey, I got faith, I love Jesus. Uh, anything I do, he'll put his stamp of approval on. Look, I already had three converts. He must approve. Right. And it's, I mean, we have got a massive confusion of what it means to serve God. Right. Or what it means to evangelize or almost what it means to do anything. Right. Because we, we, we think, okay, by grace you say through faith. Okay, that's how you get saved. Mm-hmm. By the works of the law, no flesh shall be redeemed. Right. Okay. So you get saved. So what are the works of the law? Well, that's how you please God. Right. That's how you live after your, right. after your faith brings you to Messiah. Right. Abraham did not come through the law. He came through faith. Right. But how did he prove his faith? By his by his obedience. By his obedience to the commandments. So, I mean, the... So what had to come first? His the love had to come the first. Faith the the faith and the love first. had to come first. Otherwise, you would you just be works. yeah. If you, if you do like the, some of the Orthodox Jews do, it works with and, no love. And, it, and the same with the Catholics. It's a, it's a salvation by works. Yeah, it works with no love and, and no faith. And they they made the mistake of going to the law and saying, if I can do this, right. I make it to heaven. Right. They neglected. The leader of the whole faith was Abraham. Right. So, I mean, if you're if you're trying to earn your salvation through your own merit, who are you putting faith in? You're trying to put faith in yourself. And where does faith in God come in? That's what it means to try to be saved by the works of the law. You can't do it. And faith in yourself is kind of like having a car that has no engine. Yeah. So where, you know, we see what you were talking about earlier. We see that the church was starting to go off the rails even in the time of John, because 
because what was what was the doctrine that was permeating through the churches at that time? Nicolaitanism, Nicolaitanism which says the law has been abolished. You can do whatever you want to. God's happy with it. And that was starting back, I mean, we can just roughly say 90. 70 years, give or take, after the Messiah had been crucified. Right. So if, it, if that was only 70 years later, how bad are we now? I mean, we're 2,000 years removed from it now. So we're trying to undo 2,000 years of bad doctrine. Right. So, well, it's, it, it went off the rails right. when the Gentiles said we don't want anything to do with those Jews. Right. That was the problem. Right. So when you're apathetic about the Master's coming, and I'm going to tie it right back to what you were saying, what are you not expecting? You're not expecting the coming of the Master. So if you're, neglect, if you're neglecting teaching the commandments and you're neglecting teaching the, the times, the Moedim, the feast and the festivals, the Sabbath, all those things which teach about the second coming, wouldn't that make one a little apathetic? Because you don't even know when it's going to happen. It could happen at any time. That's why you have to make up a doctrine called imminence. It could happen at any time. But God has forth a set time that He teaches through His Moedim to help us to look forward to those things and not become apathetic. All right, let's look at 2 Peter 3. It says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up, <laughs> in other words, wake up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the works which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days according to their own lust and say, where is the promise of His coming? Would they be saying this if they were keeping the Moedim? They should not. They should not be. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. How true is that? Is everything the same as it was from the beginning to now? Not true today. For this they willfully forget, meaning what? They choose to forget. They choose to forget this. That by the. I'm sorry, excuse me. No, go ahead. Um, but some of us might say, where is this coming? In a different right. way. Right, that, but that's in a way of anticipation. Yeah. Yeah, like, how long, Lord? You know, yeah. that's kind of the cry of the martyrs. You know, how long, Lord? You know, and that's a cry of anticipation, but this is a cry of a scoffer like, I've heard this my whole life. I've heard this my entire life. I've heard Jesus is coming back my entire life. Where is He at? Well, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are preserved for, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So the first time the earth was destroyed by water, will it be destroyed by water again? No. Nope. No, this time by fire. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that some should come to repentance. Nope. All should come to repentance. Doesn't that take the doctrine of predestination and just kind of 
crumple it up. Because it says, the Lord is willing that who should come to repentance? All. All should come to repentance. Not those that, those over here and then these over here. Sorry, I know you want to be saved, but tough luck. He says, all that come. There are churches teaching now that people who have died will have a provision in the afterlife. Right. That's they're teaching that one verse to go backwards as well as forwards. Kind of sounds kind of sounds a little bit like purgatory, doesn't more, it? More heresy. A little bit. All right. So Messiah talked about true servants. So a true prophet does the work of the master. So what do we need to be doing? We need to be anticipating the time, the coming of our master. How do we do that? By continuing in the works that He set forth from us, for us. Finally, the final point that I want to make in this teaching is our works reflect our spiritual state. So let's go to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Don't forget you want to go to Ezekiel. Oh yeah. We might have to end with that one. We'll end with a bang. Jeremiah 23. I love the book of Jeremiah because it's a very straightforward and easy book of prophecy to, to understand. Because Jer- the, the southern kingdom is about to go into captivity. So how clear do the words need to be to the people? Does it need to be shrouded in mystery or does it need to be, uh, this place about to be wrecked, y'all need to get it together. How clear do the words need to be? Very clear. clear. And so Jeremiah, he does not cut the crust off the bread. He tells it to them straight. They come to him and say, Jeremiah, tell us what the Lord said. And he said, the Lord said this. You're lying, Jeremiah. Then they put him in stocks. They put him, and he's like, y'all, I'm not lying to you. This is what the Lord says. So how many times did Jeremiah get put into stocks, get put down in mud? They tried to kill him. That's why he's called a weeping prophet. That's why it's, yeah, that's why he's called a weeping prophet. But Jeremiah 23, I want us to read verses 16 through 22. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophet who, prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their what? own heart. So are these true prophets? These are false prophets. Not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said you shall have peace. When they say peace, peace, what shall come? Sudden destruction. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and perceived and heard his word? Who has marked His Word and heard it? In other words, who has attended, who has heard, paid attention to His Word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It shall fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until... What's that mean? The anger of the Lord has a what? Stopping point. What do you think the stopping point is? Nothing left. And there's nothing left and the people have what? Repented until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, the Akharit Hayamim, you will understand it perfectly. Do you think the people of that day understood these words of prophecy? 
Not necessarily. But they but they knew what was coming. That's why they put Jeremiah down. Yeah, but what did they know was coming? Judgment. Judgment. They knew it was coming. So it was coming then, but when he says in the Aharit Hayamim, in the end of days, you shall understand it, that means there's also a what? A, a second, a dual fulfillment prophecy. Verse 21 says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. Not they walked, they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. So that means these prophesy, these prophets are not just walking to, to prophesy these false words. What are they doing? They're running, running to spread this false gospel, this false doctrine. But listen to verse 22. It says, But if they had stood in my counsel and caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned from their evil ways and from the evil of their doings. So the works of the people reflected their spiritual state. It's almost like good was called evil and evil was called good. So God is telling these prophets, He said, if you would have spoken my words and my counsel to these ungodly people, what, you're, y'all are so good, what could you have done? You could have turned them around. And if they listened to Jeremiah and just taken that message as from a true prophet and spread it, it would have been a, a revival. So for every true prophet of God in the time of Jeremiah, how many false prophets were there? Thousands. <laughs> thousands. One to a thousand. That was, that was a very bad ratio. So the false prophets were so convincing that they would be able to turn these wicked people to the Lord if they had prophesied His words. So what were the works of the people during that time? That reflected their spiritual state. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. How well did that work out for them? Not Not worth a flip. All right, let's go to John 3. John 3. I want to read verses 19, 20, and 21. And again, we're talking about the topic, our works reflect our spiritual state. John 3, let's just start at verse 18. It says, He who believes in Him, and that's a present participle, continuing to believe, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So this is what we would call an unbeliever. What did we just learn tonight an unbeliever is? One who lacks faith. faith. So he who lacks faith is condemned already because he has not believed, has not had faith in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth, and that word does is a present participle, continuing to do the truth. What is truth? According to Psalm 119 verse 142. The Torah. The Torah comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So if you're doing the works of God, you want them to be seen. If you're doing the works of evil, the works of darkness, do you want them to be seen? Well, Today, Today yeah, notice I said well. Have that pride, yeah, notice I said well. If you have any kind of gumption about you, you don't want your evil deeds to be, to be known. 
But what does that tell you about the state of our world now when evil is just clearly flaunted everywhere? That shows you the spiritual state of our world. It shows you that things are not the same. Right, they're not the same. They're, they're not, not the same. same as they were five years ago. No, absolutely not. <clears throat> All right, let's go to Revelation 16. Make note in Revelations two, Revelation 2 how many times, and you can do this um, in your personal studies, take note of how many times the Lord tells the believers to repent. Revelation 16.11 So, Revelation 16, what's being poured out? The bold judgment. The bold judgment. So, this is what we would call the bad of the bad. Yep. This, is, this is as bad as it gets. This is the full unbridled wrath of God being poured out. Revelation 16, 10, key verses 11, it says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. But here's the kicker. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. So that word deeds there is the word ergon, it's works. So who did they attribute these works to? The Lord. The Lord. They knew where the judgments were coming from, but did they repent? No. no. So these are people that are what we would call having a debased or a reprobate mind. So their mind is so reprobate, is so debased, it's so perverted that they curse God. And the judgments are being poured out and they're gnawing their tongue because of the pain, but they've got enough tongue left to curse God. God's the only one that can heal, and yet they curse God. And yet they curse God. So what does that tell you about the state of the people? They're unredeemable. They're unredeemable. They're unredeemable. Because if they are repenting, I mean, if you were having darkness, all the drinking water is turned to blood, it's dark, you're gnawing your tongue because of the pain, what would your natural inclination be? To repent. To repent. To beg. beg, But are they doing that? Absolutely not. So that shows you the spiritual state of the people at that time. You know, if we were in a condition like that, we'd be begging God take us home. Absolutely. They're not. Not, not cursing God. Well, they're going home. Just not to their home. Yeah, they're going to their home. Alright, go to Acts 26. Acts 26. Yep. Danny and Susie said, some call good evil and evil good. Yep, absolutely. Let's go to Acts 26, verse 20. So this is what the people should have done. So this is Paul speaking to King Agrippa. We'll start in verse 19. It says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should, number one, what? Repent. Repent. Number two, Turn turn to God. And number three, do works. Be fitting what? Repentance. 
So in other words, your works should what? Hide that you've been forgiven of your sins or shine forth that you have been forgiven? Shine forth. Isn't that what the Lord said in John 3? He said that your works should be clearly seen by men if you've been if you're doing if you've been redeemed. So notice that order, repent. What's it mean to repent? Go the other way. If you're so if you're turning from sin, what's the obvious thing you're turning to? to you're turning to God. And do works befitting repentance. That word works is ergon. So do the works befitting repentance. What works do you think Paul is speaking of? The works of the Torah. The major work is believing in Messiah. Right. So that would be coming where repentance is. So now that you have the faith, you have the love, what should follow? Now start doing what Moses told you to do. Right. Now start doing what was commanded. So doesn't this tie all right back to what we read in Ecclesiastes 12 last week? Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. It says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What did I say the word matter actually was? Devar. Devar, which is word. So all of the Scripture can be summed up in these two verses. The whole of the Scripture. It says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. So if you want to know what your purpose in life is, here it is. Fear God, and what kind of fear are we talking about? That's the obedience. That's the obedience, that fear of God. And that fear of God will lend you to what? Keeping His commandments. Because if you want to obey God, you have to do the work that God has set forth. Why should we keep His commandments? Why should we fear God? Verse 14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, there's a promise of judgment day. A judgment day for believers, a judgment day for unbelievers. So, we're going to tie it now to Ezekiel. So, if you want to be at the Bema Seat judgment, the judgment for believers to receive your rewards... And not the great white throne judgment where you hear, Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice what? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Let's look at Ezekiel 18. And this is where we'll end it. Ezekiel 18.24 It says, But when a righteous man, a righteous man is one who is keeping the commandments. One who is not lawless. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, do you think that's a one-time oopsie blunder? No. What is iniquity? Is that a one-time blunder or is that a continual lifestyle of sin? That is a lifestyle of lawlessness, continued sin. So when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity. Kind of sounds like the servant who said, My master delayeth his coming, so he began to beat the other male servants and female servants. And then what happened? The Lord came on a day he was not expecting. And does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? What's the answer? No. No. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall 
die. This ties right to Matthew 7. Let's go to Matthew 7. So here's the New Testament equivalence of Ezekiel 18.24. So, when it says a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, how much of his righteousness is remembered? None. 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 Not every, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, what? I never knew you. I never knew you. How much of their righteousness is being remembered? None. None. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness you who work lawlessness so if we want our works to reflect our spiritual state what works do we need to be reflecting the works of god or the works of darkness the works of god, works of god. 